I'm Allie Meyer from News Channel 4. Welcome to week two of FAQ. Okay, this week we're talking breast implants, gambling, shacking up, a lot of heavy topics today. That's right, so if the parents are afraid and don't want our kids to hear about breast implants, now would be a good time to take them to Life Kids. And then next week, we've got some good topics as well. What are you talking about next week? Next week, we'll talk about masturbation. What does the Bible say? It'll be serious, but done respectfully. We'll also talk about can you lose your salvation? And if people want to ask more questions, how do they do it? Go to lifechurch.tv forward slash FAQ. Let's now go to week number two of FAQ. Well, I am so glad to have all of you with us today at all of our Life Church campuses. Welcome at all of our network churches. We love you guys so much. It's really an honor to pastor with you, and we love your pastors as well. All over the world, at uh, representing different countries, we're thrilled to have you worshiping with us at Church Online. We're in the middle of a series called FAQ. It stands for Frequently Asked Questions, and you guys are asking some really challenging questions. If you're new with us, what we're doing is very, very different. This is not a normal message. You're asking tons of questions, and I will bring biblical responses. We'll do this one more week. If you have more questions, you can go to lifechurch.tv forward slash FAQ. Any question is fair game. If it's asked enough times, I will tackle it. Uh, the ground rules, just so we'll all be on the same page, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So if you ask a question and the Bible answers it directly, I will answer it according to the Bible and I will not waver, not even that much. There will be many questions though that you'll ask and the Bible doesn't speak directly to those questions. So what I'll do is I will look for principles to apply and I'll tell you when I'm doing that. There may be times when the Bible doesn't speak even principles and so at those times I'll tell you I'm giving you my opinion we can disagree, but we have to do so respectfully in love. If you agree, everybody say, I agree. That was pathetic. Pathetic. We're going to cover some tough stuff today. If you don't work with me, if you don't have fun, you can't come back. Everybody say, I agree. Let's dive into a question a lot of you wanted to know about. There are a bunch of you curious about breast implants. Can a person should a person get breast implants? We asked you what you thought, took a little survey on you version. We gave you three choices, yes, no, or the bigger, the better. And let's see what you said. 29% of you said yes. 37% of you said no. And 34% of you need biblical counseling <laughs> because you thought the bigger, the better better. A lot of guys voting, I suppose, on version Live. What does the Bible say about breast implants? There is only one verse. It's found in Genesis 18, 13. The Bible says, Sarah departed for a season of time, and upon her return, Abraham had found that what once had been as apples was now as melons. Those of you that are not laughing, it's simply because you do not read the Bible. Some of you are going, wow, I never knew that was in there. That's really cool. I got, that's confirmation. This is not a real verse, in case you're wondering. The NCGV stands for the new Craig Rochelle version. That is not a real verse in the Bible. I just made it up to see if you were with me and awake today. 
What does the Bible say about breast implants? It does not say anything because that obviously was not a surgery the time the Bible was written. But let me just say this is a sensitive subject because let's just call it like it is. There are a lot of you who've had this surgery. Either that or you had like really big growth spurts later on in life. So, I mean, a lot of you have this, so this is kind of sensitive. And may I just say for fun, it's really awkward when one of my wife's friends comes back with this new surgery, it's really awkward. I never know what to say. They're always kind of, you know, they walk in like, whoa, hello to both of you. You know, it's like, where did this come from? I'm, I, you know, like twins, you had twins, congratulations. You know, you never know what to say. What do you say? Like, did, 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 you know, they're so symmetrical. I never know what to say. It's just a, it's, it's a very awkward thing when that happens, I'm just, just saying. So let's do this, let's broaden this from breast implants because I don't think that's really fair to limit it to this. Let's talk about any type of body altering surgery. It could be hair implants, it could be a nose job, liposuction, facelift, butt lift, lip enlargement, Botox, so you two can always look surprised no matter where you are. And uh, I'm sorry, in Christian circles, there's a couple of kind of extremes. There are those who say, you know, any kind of body altering thing is always wrong. I don't think you can say that because if you do, you better not get braces. You better not get your ear pierced. Those are body altering things. And so I don't think you can say that. On the other hand, there are people who say, well, whatever, you know, as long as it's safe, you might as well do it and just do it freely. And again, I don't think that's right as well. So what I'll do is I'll give you my opinion on why I believe it would be right at times and wrong at others. When would body altering surgery uh, be wrong? I'll give you two times in my opinion. One is when you're trying to find your security and your appearance rather than in who you are in Christ. If you feel like you have to have something different to be special, to feel beautiful, to feel of worth, then I would argue you really need to get to know who you are in Christ because it's who you are on the inside that matters infinitely more than what you look on the outside. I would argue if you're trying to find your security and this is the only way you can in your appearance rather than in Christ, this is probably wrong. Secondly, I would argue it would be wrong when you're using your body to attract inappropriate attention. May I be frank? Some of you, you got that surgery, you got something enlarged, you paid a lot of money for them, and you're proud of them. Everywhere you go, you're showing them to everybody. Biblically, that's wrong. If it's between you and your husband, enjoy all you want, but cover them up in public. The Bible speaks about dressing modestly and quite honestly. You don't have to have a surgery to dress immodestly. Many of you do that without a surgery. Cover yourself up. Don't cause others to lust or stumble. Honor the temple of the Holy Spirit by covering it. This is a biblical principle, and it's one that many people in our church need to hear and to live. Speaking to the women, Proverbs 31, verse 30 says, Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who does what? A woman who fears the Lord is to be what? Is to be praised. May I say, gentlemen, that rather than a woman who's had $30,000 worth of surgery, a woman who truly fears and is, and is in love with her King and Savior, that is a woman of value, one who knows Christ, and that is the type that you should pursue. When would body altering surgery be right? I would say if you're doing some kind of restoration, unquestionably, a burn victim, uh, someone with a deformity, 
Uh, perhaps you need to have something done for medical reasons, maybe a reju- reduction because your back hurts, maybe you had a double mastectomy and you want to put back what was there, or if you make a prayerful decision with those around you, my stance is that I'm guessing God is going to look every time at the motive. First Chronicles 28 verse 9 says, the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thought. It is not wrong to try to present yourself in the best light, but if you're trying to find your self-worth and your security in your appearance, I promise you, you are fighting a losing battle. Gravity and time will always win, no matter what you do. We just covered breast implants in church. Praise be to God. (laughs) We had... One of our network church pastors from Australia asked us this question via Skype. G'day Craig and everyone at LiveChurch.tv. My name's Ian Altman and I pastor a a network church in Lithgow, Australia. Lithgow is about two hours west of Sydney and we've been uh, using LiveChurch's resources for the past 12 months, downloading the DVDs or the videos each week and showing them at, at, uh, at a cafe service we run on a Sunday afternoon. We've been able to connect with a whole bunch of people who wouldn't normally go to church. And so they come with um, a whole lot of different values that perhaps those in church would normally have. And one of those uh, sets of values and the question that people often raise is to do with being married and people who live together. Many people in Australia live together. Marriage is not a high uh, priority. And so they're asking, is it okay for, uh, for people to live together without being married? Pastor Ian, thank you for that question, and it's an honor to partner with your church in Australia. Very important question because this is becoming a very common uh, issue and decision that people are making. In fact, according to a USA Today article, in this decade, uh, over two-thirds of the people who get married will have lived together first. So more than half of the people who get married in this decade will have already lived together. Many of you are living together and you're not married, so... Let's try to answer this. What is the biblical perspective? Well, let's start off with some reasons to live together. A lot of people would say, well, here's why we're going to do this. Money is tight, uh, and so if we live together, we're going to save money. And a lot of people would make a pretty convincing argument that this would be a wise thing for them to do. A lot of people also say, hey, you know, we hope to get married one day. We really love each other. And so uh, we're just going to give this a test run. You know, you wouldn't buy the car without test driving it first. Right? So we're going to give this a little test run. And after all, we're married in our hearts anyway. I mean, marriage is just a piece of paper. We really love each other, so what's the big deal? Well, if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in God, I'd say you're absolutely right. What's the big deal? It's just a relationship, so who really cares? If you're a Christian and you do believe in God, though, I believe there is a different answer to your question. Most people would say today marriage is just a piece of paper. To think that is to grossly misunderstand and misrepresent what marriage really is. A piece of paper in today's world, so many people think it's a contract. A contract is simply something to protect me from you and you from me. Marriage, though, is not a contract. It is a covenant before a holy God. If you get married by a pastor, you will stand before God and God's people, and you will swear to God and create a covenant, which is a binding agreement in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. It's not a contract. It's an all-in, 
full-blown, 100%, no backdoor commitment before a holy God and asking him to bless the covenant of your relationship which you will honor until death do you part. Hebrews 13.4 says this, marriage, the covenant of marriage, it should be honored by whom? Say it aloud, it should be honored by Everybody, if you're married, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're not married, you still honor the covenant of marriage, and the marriage bed, the Bible says, should be kept pure. I could argue that being and pretending like you're married when you're not and doing married things is a violation of keeping the marriage bed pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. If you don't believe in God, you might as well live together because you don't need God's help anyway. If you do believe in God and you call yourself a Christian, then quit kidding yourself, making half-hearted commitments. Go ahead and ask God to bless your relationship, stand before him, and make a covenant which you will honor for the rest of your life. If you are a Christian, honor God's standard and get married. If you still don't believe me and you want to do your own deal, just to make you feel better, we put together a little service for those who still want to shack up. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together on this unholy day to witness the cohabitation ceremony of this young couple. Josh, would you repeat after me? Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Take you, Julie. Take you, Julie. To be my cohabitant. To be my cohabitant. To have sex with you. To have sex with you. And hold you responsible for half the bills. And hold you responsible for half the bills. To love and to take advantage of you. To love and to take advantage of you. From this day forward. From this day forward. Or for as long as this arrangement works out. Or for as long as this arrangement works out. I will be. I will be. More or less faithful to you. More or less faithful to you. As long as my needs are met. As long as my needs are met. And no one better comes along. And no one better comes along. If we should break up. If we should break up. It does not mean this wasn't special to me. It doesn't mean this wasn't special to me. Because I love you. Because I love you. Almost as much as I love myself. Almost as much as I love myself. I commit to live with you. I commit to live with you. For a while. For a while. So help me. So help me. 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 In the name of sex. In the name of sex. Sin. Sin. And selfishness. And selfishness. Amen. Amen. And now, Josh, you may kiss your, well, you guys know what to do. If, uh, if that did not offend you, just sit, sit tight. I'll get to you soon. Uh, we are an equal offender. And uh, so, you know, anyway, if you, if you want to email me, go ahead and just uh, send them to Craig at I don't give a rip.com. That's where you can send your emails. It's an actual email and it has an auto reply that says, I don't give a rip. You can try it if you want. I will not see it, but it will reply to you. So, let's deal with another question. A lot of you wanted to know is gambling a sin? Uh, let's get some participation, see what you guys think. How many of you are willing to bet $10 that I'll say it is a sin? Raise your hands. You're willing to bet $10 that I'll say it's a sin. Uh, let's do this. Uh, some people will say, well, the Bible talks directly about gambling in different places. They'll say there was the casting of lots, and that was gambling. I don't believe that to be true. Uh, there are different people who would cast lots in the Bible. For example, whenever Judas took his own life, the disciples cast lots to see who would be the next disciple. Uh, that to me is a form of decision making like drawing straws or flipping a coin. I don't think that's gambling. Other people will say Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable about the talents. 
uh, a master gave five talents to one guy, two to another, and one to another, the guy with five, invested them and multiplied them, the guy with the two did the same thing, the guy with the one was afraid, buried his talents, the master was angry, took it away from him and gave it to the other guy. Some people say, well, that was gambling. They went out and they gambled what the master gave him. I believe that's a misrepresentation of the text, that the text is talking about good stewardship, about investing wisely the gifts and talents and resources that God has given us. I do not believe personally that that speaks directly to gambling. Here's what I would argue, that the Bible does not specifically condemn gambling, betting, or the lottery. And because the Bible does not specifically condemn gambling, I would argue that there are times when a little bet may not really be a sin, and let me explain. Uh, maybe you go to a friend's house and you're playing a game of cards for quarters, or maybe there's a uh, March Madness uh, pool that you get into at work. There may be times when you say, hey, I bet you five bucks you can't make this shot. And I would argue that there are those times when at worst you may be wasting money, at best you may be having some light, friendly entertainment, and it's probably not a sin. But... What starts out as a little bit of friendly entertainment can very, very quickly and often does become sinful and dangerous. If gambling is an issue for you, I would challenge you to ask yourself three questions. When, where, and why? When, where, and why? When do you gamble? If it's once or twice a year, you go and play bingo every now and then, you're on a cruise and play, put a couple dollars in a slot machine, it's probably entertainment and not a sin to you. If it's once or twice a month or once or twice a week, you better be very careful. This is probably becoming an obsession and is sinful. I would also ask you where. You go to a buddy's house and you're playing some cards, probably no big deal. You go to a place where most of the women are half naked or all the way naked, everybody's drunk, and there are big men named Guido ready, ready to take you out. You, you probably cross the line into a sinful environment where you're putting yourself in a tempting place, and I don't see much good that's going to come out of that. I would also ask you the why. Why are you doing this? Well, you know, it's just a little fun. I can afford it. It's no big deal. Versus, um, oh my gosh, I lost my child support money and I've got to win it back. Oh my goodness, if I don't get this, I can't pay the, the mortgage. And oh, I love this. Oh, I, I, oh I, I, I'm good at this and I can, I, I'm getting more money. If that's you, you have very likely crossed the line into the sin of greed, which is incredibly dangerous. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and you see all kinds of sin around gambling very, very quickly. Some people, the Bible says, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I can't tell you the number of times when I've seen people with what seems like innocent fun quickly pierce themselves with many griefs. I've seen gambling wreck marriages, homes, families, kids, and the future, there's not much good that comes from it. There's a lot of bad that comes from it. If more than one person has told you that you have a problem, you probably do, and it's time to get help. That is my take on gambling. Allie Meyer, an NBC affiliate, uh, put me on the hot seat. Here's what she asked. Okay, let's start round two of the hot seat. You ready? Fire away. 
LaKendra from Fort Worth, Texas wants to know, why do I feel overwhelmed when God says, he won't give me more than I can handle? You know, Ellie, a lot of people think that God won't give us more than we can handle, but the Bible never says that. The Bible says God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He'll always give us a way out for temptation, but God actually often will allow us to have more than we can handle so we can learn to depend on Him. But Kendra, I'm praying for you this week. Mikey from Owasso, Oklahoma wants to know, if God forgives your sins, why is He going to judge us for our sins after we die? That's an important question. And if you're a Christian, God is actually not going to judge your sins when you die. God's already judged your sins when Jesus died on the cross. And so your sins are forever forgiven. Now, after we die, there'll actually be two different judgments. You can read about one in Revelation 20, and it's known as the Great White Throne Judgment. At this judgment, there will be the unbelievers, those who are not Christians, and they will be judged for their sins. And when their names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will be punished eternally for their sins. You won't be judged at the Great White Throne Judgment for your sins because your name will be found in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's a second judgment, though, that you will be at, and so will I, and it's called the Judgment Seat of Christ. At the Judgment Seat of Christ, your eternal destiny will not be judged. That's already been determined on earth. But you'll be rewarded and judged for your works on earth. If you did good works, you'll receive eternal rewards. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. At the judgment seat of Christ, your salvation is not determined. Your sins have already been judged. There you'll be judged for your works, and hopefully you'll receive a lot of rewards. So judged kind of in the good sense, not so much in the bad. Exactly. If you're a Christian, your sins were judged at the cross, and you're totally forgiven, and you'll be judged for your good works and rewarded in heaven. Now we've got an anonymous question. This comes from an unnamed person, and they want to know, is it okay to daydream about your spouse, or is that wrong? Hey, hey, yo. Um, I'm sorry. Okay, we're just moving on. Michelle from Hendersonville, Tennessee wants to know, why do some people raise their hands at church during a song and some people don't? That's a good question, because if someone walks in and has never seen that before, they'd wonder why in the world are people doing this? Well, there's many verses in the Bible. I'll read you a couple of them. Psalm 63, verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, speaking of God, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 2 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Some people would say this is a way of reaching out to God. Others would say it's a full surrender before God. It's a posture of worship that people express their heart toward God by lifting up holy hands. Do you ever do that, Ellie? Um, I would say I'm an eye closer. Um, sometimes I do one hand. I'm like a halfway up. You're a half hand <laughs> lifter and an eye closer. And you know, sometimes too, I find my hands just sort of end up right here. I'm not sure why. A great place to be, a, a posture of worship. All right, Terrence from South Oklahoma City has got a real serious question here. He wants to know, does the Bible forbid interracial marriages? Great question, and the answer is no, it does not. Some people will try to say that it does, and they'll quote Deuteronomy chapter 7, when one group of people took over another group, and God said, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. And people say, God was saying, don't marry interracially. 
But verse 4 gives the key to the verse where it says, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So God wasn't talking about other races as much as he was talking about other faiths. In fact, there are many examples in the Bible. Solomon was not judged for marrying a foreign woman, but a foreign woman who worshiped false gods. Also in Numbers 12, when Moses married an Ethiopian woman, Miriam and Aaron, they were upset, but God wasn't. And finally, Rahab and Ruth were both Gentiles, and yet they were mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. God isn't concerned with skin color or where someone's born. He wants to know how they placed their faith in Christ. Last question, an anonymous attender noticed your pink shirt on Easter and wanted to know, can a real man wear pink? Only in spring and Easter is a perfect time and I would ask him, does a real man ask anonymous questions? I'll see you next week. Sounds good. And uh, Mr. Anonymous Pink Man, if you uh, don't believe me, you can meet me in a dark alley. I will be the guy wearing pink. And I'll show you. I'm just joking. So uh, uh, one question that Allie didn't ask is, uh, do your pets go to heaven? How many of you want to know the answer to that? You want to know? You want to know? Well, no, that's not enough of you. I just, if you're not excited about it, I'm not going to deal with that. So you have to worry about Fluffy for another week. That's just the way it is. So uh, we had a, a campus pastor from Wellington, Florida, Larry Mayer. He asked a very serious question via Skype. Hey, Life Church, this is Larry Mayer, campus pastor down in Wellington, Florida. Craig, we have a question that comes from one of our Switch students. I was talking to him last night on Facebook, and he has a friend of his who was hit by a drunk driver, pronounced brain dead, and then two nights ago, his parents had to take her off of life support. And his question to me was, was Larry, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Larry, that's a good question and a really important one. And I just want to start by acknowledging that uh, there's so many painful things. And I know that just in you know, groups this size, there will be those of you right now who are facing things similar to what Larry talked about uh, or maybe very different but very painful. And so what I'm going to do today is answer this the best I can. But let me just say up front that what I'm going to say will not be the perfect answer, nor will it be complete because I am not God, and he is the only one who can answer this in a complete way. So what I say may not uh, make you feel better about what you're going through, but I do believe what I'll say uh, to be true and yet not complete in uh, the whole thing uh, as God could answer. So uh, let me do this. People, first of all, some people say, well, I don't, I don't believe in God, and so who determines what's bad and what's not bad? Bad things just happen. That's one view. Some people say, well, there's karma. You do good things, you get good things back. You do bad things, you get bad things. And so obviously if there's bad things happening to you, you did bad things. Let me give you the Christian perspective, at least from, uh, from my perspective. First of all, the reason that this is such a big problem is because I would argue there's a lot of unintentional false advertising when it comes to Christianity. Let me explain. There are many churches that I love, uh, many Christian radio stations that I love, many Christian organizations that I love that have a slogan that is, life is better with God. Life is better with God, which is true if you define better the right way. The problem is so many people today define better as I'll never get cancer, I'll always get the promotion, and nothing bad will ever happen to my kids. And that is simply not true at all. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Then he said, but take heart for I've overcome the world. 
There is no promise that says if you do life with God, it's always going to be trouble-free and always going to be better. If you believe that, you're going to have a problem when you talk to Job, who is blameless and upright in every way and yet lost everything that mattered to him for a season in his life. You're going to have a problem with John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus and yet was beheaded in prison while Christ was nearby and did nothing about it. You're going to have a problem with Paul, who was as faithful as anybody in Scripture and yet was beaten and stoned and left for dead over and over again. And you're going to have a problem with Christ, who did nothing wrong and suffered for our sins. Life is not always better with God if you define better as problem-free. So let me give you the Christian perspective of why bad things happen. There are five major reasons. The first reason is because our world is stained and corrupted by sin. This world is not what it was in the garden before sin. We are under the curse of sin in this world, therefore sinful things happen. Number two, there are times when God may be testing us. God may allow or cause, depending on your theology, challenging things to happen in your life because the testing develops perseverance develops character, and develops your faith. Number three, there would be times when our spiritual enemy, Satan, is attacking. If you are a Christian, you have an enemy. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy anything that matters to the heart of God. We are in a spiritual war, and there is an enemy on the attack. Fourth, there is a thing known as free will. For us to truly love God, we cannot be robots programmed to love. We have to have the free will to choose to love or choose to reject God. Because of free will, there's the possibility of us doing good. There's also the possibility of us doing evil. Without free will, there is no love, but with free will comes the possibility of doing things wrong. The final thing, though, I believe is the most important. The foundational problem with this question is the question is flawed. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is, bad things do not happen to good people. Because in reality, none of us are good. And many of you are going to fight back right now and say, no, but they're good people. I'm a good person. In the eyes of God, none of us are good people. And we have to understand that. Our heart is deceitful above all things. We are flawed We are sinful. In the eyes of God, our best attempt at righteousness is as filthy rags. We are not good people. Bad things do not happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad and sinful people. And still, many of you are going to fight against this, and you're going to be tempted to say, but God is not fair. And I'm going to say, absolutely, he's not always fair. He is always good, but he is not always fair. He is always good, and you must start with the goodness of God, not the goodness of man, because man is sinful, God is good, and you start with the goodness of God, then you will thank him that he is not always fair. Because if instead of asking why do bad things happen to good people, you'll ask the better question, which is why do good things happen to bad people? And that is the essence of the gospel. God is always good, he is always just, but he is not always fair. If he were fair, he would give us what our sins deserve. If you are a Christian, you do not get what your sins deserve, you get eternal life through Christ. Psalms 103 verses 10, 11, and 12 shows how God is not always fair. The Bible says God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He is good but not always fair. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you want to say, well, you know, bad things should only happen to bad people, Jesus is the perfect example of the best person who ever lived, and yet the worst thing happened to him. Why? So that the best thing that could ever happen would happen to us, the worst people who've ever lived, our sins could be forgiven and we could spend eternity in heaven with God, something we do not deserve and could never ever earn. If you're facing tragedy right now and you do not see the goodness of God, let me just tell you this, the goodness of God is not as easy to see when times are going the way you want. The goodness of God is always most evident when tragedy strikes. If you're hurting right now and do not see the goodness of God, It could be because you do not truly know God. Because it's in tragedy and human suffering that the presence of God becomes most real. And if you're hurting and don't understand or not experiencing his goodness, it could be because you don't know him. You don't have to understand everything that happens on earth and you never will. But his presence is is with you and will comfort you in ways that only he could do. If you don't know his goodness, it's probably because you don't know him. All of our campus is praying. God, we ask that you would take all that we've covered today and use it in a way to minister to your people. As you're praying today at all of our locations, let me just get right to it. There are many of you who are going through some times right now where there's some things you don't understand. Maybe there's a bad medical report. Maybe financially you're, just, you're fighting to hang on. Maybe you're in a relational situation that you just don't understand and you just, it, you just, it, it, it doesn't seem to get any better. Maybe you're afraid for the future. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you, you feel like life is just not fair and you don't know where God is. If you're hurting right now or someone you know is and you'd like prayer, I would be honored to pray for you. Would you just lift up your hands right now? It's, it's, it's tough right now. I don't understand everything. Lift up your hands and just a moment of faith. There, just a bunch of hands going up. And God, I pray right now for all those who are hurting. And in a very unusual way, God, I thank you that it's in the dark times that your light and your presence becomes most obvious. And God, especially for those who know you, I pray that you, you would be the Christ in the boat on, during the storm, that, that even though it's raging on the outside, your presence is just what we need. And I pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would guard our hearts and our minds and our souls in Christ Jesus. And God, that you would give us a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. For those who are deeply grieving, God, I pray that your presence, your goodness, would be evident in the middle of their human suffering. And God, for those who may not know you, I pray that you would use this day to draw them into a relationship with you, that they would truly know your goodness in fact, at all of our campuses today, there may be many of you right now that, that you really don't. You, you may be in a hard time right now, and you really don't sense the goodness of God. It could be like you're like so many other people around the world today that you, you kind of believe in God, you kind of go to church, but you don't really know him. Or there could be others of you, we talked about gambling earlier, that you know what, right now you're really making the biggest gamble of your life. You're gambling with your eternal destination. If something were to happen to you today, you you don't know where you would spend eternity. You are taking the biggest gamble of all. Here is the good news. God is always good. He is always just. But he is not always fair. 
and all of us are bad, sinful people. If you're really honest, you, you'd admit it. You're like, yeah, you're doing some things you know. They've got to they've grieve the heart of God. And so you think, well, I've got to do some good things to earn my way back. The truth is you can never earn your way to God. Here's the good news. God sent his son Jesus, who is perfect and sinless in every way, to shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. He took the punishment for our sins. That's not fair. He was innocent. That's the good news of God. And there are those of you here today that you're going to call on the name of Christ and you're going to be transformed. All of your sins will be forgiven. You'll be totally different. Let me tell you what happens. The Bible says you become a new creation. All the old is gone and everything becomes new. You are different and everyone knows it. You are transformed. There are those of you, you've been around the church, but you've never been transformed by Christ. Others of you, you're under the weight of your sin today. You're feeling the conviction of God, and you're going to call out, and you will be forgiven. You'll be transformed, and you'll be made new. That's why you're here. Call on God through his son Jesus. Make me new. Forgive me. I give my whole life to you. That's you today at all of our locations. Lift your hands high right now. Just lift them up and say, yes, that's me. Lift them high and say, yes, I give my life completely to you right over here. God bless you. Others of you who say me too, right back here in this middle section, sir, right here. Others of you who call on his name right over here, sir, yes, I surrender my life. Others of you say yes. Take it all. Take it all right back over here. Both of you, all three of you here together, welcome into God's family. Others of you right back here toward the back, way back over here, right back over there. Others of you call on his name, say yes. Take it all here in the middle section. God bless you as well. Others of you right up here, Say yes, God invade his life. Others today, we call on him. Would you pray? Church online, you guys just click right below me and we'll all pray aloud. Pray, Heavenly Father, everybody, Heavenly Father, take my life. I am a sinner who needs a savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I give all of my life to you because you gave your life for me. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. It belongs to you for the rest of my life. Help me to serve you and to know you in all I do. In Jesus' name I pray. All of our campuses, would you guys worship a good God, a just God, and thank him that he is not always fair.